before the show begins. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. You may know Posner as a washed-up pop star with a couple of songs that you don't even like. This book will come as a total shock to you. He takes on the topics of fame, God, masturbation, horses, death, dating, Bruno Mars, plane crashes, and chewing gum. That's a lot, right? It's available now, or you can visit his website, MikePosner.com. Check it out. It's a great book of poetry. I've read a bit of it, and I like it. So go check it out. Now, here's the show. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm trying to change it up for those of you who have been listening to uh, this is like the 251st episode, I think. And anytime I say that number, I'm like, yo, I've been doing this for like 251 weeks of my life. Like, that's insane. I mean, we're closing it. I want to say in May, it's going to be our five year anniversary or six. Gosh, I can't. I, it's bad. I should know that. Right. But, uh, the, you know, those numbers are irrelevant. But 251 episodes that is relevant. And what is also relevant is our guest today. So like I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I've gotten the occasional feedback from people who are like, hey, you don't have enough women represented in the show. And, you know, frankly, it's a numbers game. It's not something I am like, uh, you know, have some weirded, weird male chauvinistic agenda of like, oh, I'm only talking to, you know, dudes. And that's uh, that's it. I don't like women, really, because that's, you know, farther couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, So uh, but fortunately, I actually have a month's worth of interviews with very cool and exciting people who are all female and are all doing awesome, a wide variety of things within music. And um, yeah, so that's why I, I like to do these themed months occasionally. And so uh, this, I don't know, I don't have like a kitschy name for it because I think last year, what did I do? I did a uh, Faces of Modern Hardcore <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was so grandiose, but I, I, I liked it. Um, and then I did like a record label month. Uh, so uh, this one, I, I don't have a kitschy name. So, I mean, if you have a, a cool name that I could call this, please email me 100 words podcast at gmail.com. But um, yeah, so be, uh, whatever, let's just call this, uh, you know, women in independent music, uh, a spotlight, something like that. But uh, this week's guest is Sarah Taylor. She is the vocalist from Youth Code. She's also what I like to call a road dog, where she's lived a lot of her life on the road doing merch, tour managing for a a lot of different bands. We actually discussed that uh, in pretty great detail in this uh, conversation. And uh, Sarah, I just got to know, um, you know, pretty well through uh, just mutual friends and then also doing some work together when I worked at uh, PETA. And uh, I just was really taken by her sarcastic nature. And uh, she's just a very fun girl to hang out with. And um, yeah, so it's her and her boyfriend, Ryan George, who used to play in Carry On, and we will be having on a show in the near future. Uh, They do Youth Code together, and uh, it's awesome. So uh, that's that's what we're going to be doing today. And what we're also going to be doing today is uh, talking about me being on vacation. Holy moly. I'm still working on vacation, but, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to unplug. And for those of you that have uh, been asking as well, my wife is doing well. She's actually returning to work next week. So that's uh, an exciting yet also nerve wracking thing on her end because, uh, you know, she hasn't worked in like, gosh, four or five months. So, um, yeah, but I'm just uh, I'm very proud of her and continuing to forge on with the fact that, uh yeah, in uh, you know a month or so, she's going to go through another test to see if there is cancer still in her system. So it's uh, some pretty pretty heavy stuff still, but uh, we're marching forward very optimistically because um, 
yeah, frankly, as of right now, she, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with her. And that's what I have to focus on and what I hold on to the closest. So, um, one last thing, I'm sure you noticed I published a bonus episode last week in regards to, uh, buried treasure series. I think I'm going to do that maybe once a month, once every couple months when I uh, am feeling ever so inspired. But, uh, if you like it, let me know. <clears throat> and if you want a to suggest a specific genre of music that I should cover with a guest, let me know because uh, I think it's a, a fun thing. And uh, my friend Shane Told from Silverstein and the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, we dove really, really deep into some buried treasures of uh, skate punk. And that's a genre that, um, you know, it, a lot of people know what's happening with that. And so we went really deep and pulled out some bands from the past that many of you may have never heard of before, but are still relevant and really good Well, to the people who care about skate punk. You know, when I say relevant, it's not like they're relevant from the mainstream music world. But um, anyways, that's a lot of talking. But what you want to hear is me and Sarah talking, right? I think that's why you came here. So that's what we're going to do. And I will talk to you after the show is over. But I know, I mean, I know that we've you know existed in many of the same rooms before, as many punk and hardcore kids tend to do, just not have met in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But the thing, the thing that struck me about you uh, was, you know, you're, you, you were very warm to me. You were very kind and nice, but you were also totally, totally goofy and obviously self-deprecating and just like, you know, was 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 down to not only make fun of yourself but whoever else was around that was uh, was in good humor. Um, yeah, because that's I pre- usually my way of saying I like you a lot to someone <laughs> is if I can make fun of you, it means I really actually like you, <laughs> which is good. But I, I presume that many people, you know, look at, at you where it's just like, oh, wow, you know, girl with a lot of tattoos that, you know, might might look somewhat intimidating. Um, and then, uh, you know, people that see Youth Code perform live are also having this other uh, input as far as you're concerned. Uh, do many people kind of express that like, oh, my God, Sarah, I totally thought she's super intimidating. And they're just like, oh, yeah, she's a total goofball or a total dork once I actually talk to her. It's like the bane of my fucking existence, Ray. (laughs) It is like the bane of my existence because, you know, like I grew up, like I am, I guess like inherently kind of like a boisterous or brash girl, but like inside this like shell of like, I like tattoos, I like metal is like this little like, you know, sort of like, I don't know, I wouldn't say insecure because I'm not insecure, but it's kind of like a little like warm, goofy, like wishes she looked good in a princess outfit type of girl and so uh when i meet people and they're like oh wow like you have tattoos and you yell and you say fuck a lot like i I don't know if i get uh, this girl seems kind of scary like it happens to me on like a multiple times a day where like i'll meet someone and they're like oh yeah like when i first saw you at like insert said show 10 years ago i thought you were fucking crazy or like (laughs) when i first saw youth code i thought you were crazy you know and it's just like i'm not i'm not those i mean i guess in a way i have that side of myself but for the most part like you know and it doesn't do me any favors that like i have the voice of like one of Marge's sisters and like <laughs> just you know I say profanity I guess a lot but you know I, t- I tend to when I think about myself it's like a completely different thing than what other people have as a thought about me right well I, probably to that same idea I mean I like I like the picture that you paint in regards to you know I'm, I'm just trying to be this little girl who uh, you know is is 
seven years old and obsessed with Frozen or something like that, you know? Like, exactly. Because, I mean, at, at uh, no matter what, when you're peeling away the layers of who an individual is, like, you're going to get to that core being of just, like... I am a little boy hanging out in the corner of my room reading books or whatever. It's like yeah, exactly. Everyone has those those you know raw desires, but you know there's all the uh, artifices that are on the outside that people you know immediately and understandably so latch onto. Totally, and I mean I don't I don't blame anyone for seeing me and thinking like oh that girl's probably like my least favorite adjective in the entire universe, which I've been described even by people that like. I enjoy and I've told them like I don't like to be called this but people usually think that from the exterior and just from like having like maybe a brief interaction with me that I'm quote unquote tough and I'm like the least tough person in the entire universe <laughs> like I, I, have you gotten a fight before uh yeah I, I, I have fought in my life I have right I have you know things in my life that I'm probably not super proud of at this point in time being a 32 year old woman but you know it, it it it's not a thing that I uh, enjoy or care to like dwell on I think everybody's kind of gotten into a fight maybe once sure that maybe you, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean I technically have never. Uh, I, I've never like squared up against somebody, but I've definitely you know thrown myself on somebody to you know like. Try I think that's that's more so what my fighting is. It's not ever been like I've well maybe I've squared up with someone once, but that was in a, a completely different time in which alcohol was a key proponent of that, and I definitely don't do that anymore. But um, I feel like most of the times that I've gotten into fights, it it's been to sort of protect someone else or to sort of like make sure that the other person is okay more so than like hey what's up my name is sarah i don't like something you're doing i'm going to fight you right yeah like so, someone brushes past you and like you know hits hits you with their elbow and you're just like oh what? god I've, n- I've never never in my life never in my life <laughs> right someone brushes by me and i'm usually like mm. <laughs> <laughs> leave me alone <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't look at me too long i might cry <laughs> that's funny um you were you born and raised in la or where did you come up yeah, I was born in Los Angeles, lived here until I was about seven, and then that's like around 92, so the riots happened, and my mom had this like wonderful idea to move us to Hawaii for five years, which was like the most ostracizing thing I've ever endured in my entire existence and so we lived in hawaii for five years and then my mom was like well you guys are teenagers and you can't live on an island forever so let's move back to la so i moved back to la and was here up until yes like i started touring at 17 and then like as a product of touring i kind of moved around a bunch like i lived in salt lake for a little bit i lived in chicago for a little bit i lived in new york i lived in london i lived in you know i like i kind of just made a home wherever i could for x amount of months at a time sure sure for probably probably that made the most economical sense where it's like hey i'll give you a a room for 75 bucks and you're like sure that sounds good yeah exactly i mean i was on tour so much as a young person i toured doing merch and occasionally dipping my toe into tour managing from when i was like 17 to 27 and i didn't really have a state like i had maybe a couple stable apartments like i lived when i moved back to la from salt lake i moved to West Hollywood. So I lived there for about a year. And then I moved to Silver Lake. Uh, 
seven years ago. Okay. And I lived in Silver Lake for a while. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have like a home home. I just kind of like lived places. Sure. Right. The, um, you know, there a few things, a few threads I wanted to pull on in regards to you know where you were living and your family structure. The because uh, you know you've you've been pretty public in regards to expressing the fact that you know your parents got divorced at an early age and uh, your dad struggled with addiction. Um, was the was the addiction part of the reason why your parents got separated, or was that just there was there was just a myriad of issues beyond that as well? I mean, you know, like when you, I come from like a very interesting. Uh, set of parents that I love very, very much, but they both kind of have like their own sides to the story. And I think that that probably was like maybe, you know, a forefront of the issue on my mother's side. I think my dad probably has other reasons and things like that, but I don't really know like a hundred percent of the reason why they divorced other than like, I don't think the marriage was working out. My dad was working a lot. And I think my dad was also kind of erratic due to, you know, his own situations that he's had in his life. Um, but it's, it's interesting because like, uh, my, I don't really speak to my father about it. Cause I know it's like a source of pain now that he's like recovered and doing well. Like, and I've, you know, I've made, my amends with my father so I don't ever want to bring up these points of pain because I have no reason to actually speak to him about it other than like mm-hmm. hey you're a good dad to me and you rule and I love you and cool bye uh, and then with my mom you know she has her other sets of pain with it and I just don't want to bring it up because my mom I think like is so rooted in how much that kind of like threw off her life's plan that it's still like a pretty big sore spot for her Sure. I I find that really interesting. I I like that how you phrase that in regards to, you know, you as a child are going to hear two different sides of the story, you know, and you're going to have two pictures painted, you know, understandably so biased on both sides where you know mm-hmm. one person is going to make themselves look better than maybe it actually is and then as a kid you have to navigate like what what do you understand about that like what makes sense to you you know yeah i mean like as a little kid you kind of just have to it's one of those like uh i wouldn't say fight or flight but it's one of those things where like you kind of just understand what's in front of you at that point in time and you're so young and naive to things like i mean i was seven years old so like drug addiction and things like that were not things that I actually conceptualized as like you know like who's like seven years old and is like oh yeah my dad is doing this and it is bad like you just want to think of your parents as superheroes really mm-hmm. and they kind of are they bring you into this world and they like it's so difficult I can't even conceptualize it right now bring someone in and especially at the time that I was growing up which is like the mid to late 80s early 90s that's kind of when media was having its big surge of like there's serial killers out there and there's like it's kind of that first surge of like sensationalized news and for people that have grown up in like the 50s and 60s you kind of can't believe like this is right in front this is like in our backyard you know so I wouldn't uh, you know with my parents it was just kind of like I didn't think about it and now that I'm an adult with like you know that sort of knowledge of like what kind of went on like a brief looking at what went on it's just kind of like I'll let them you know, they probably have enough to deal with. They're just human beings at the end of the day. Like, you grow up and you kind of realize, like, my parents are just two people that 
had, you know, their family and whatever did or didn't work out. Like that's kind of the roll of the dice. When you're younger, you can't, you can't really understand that as much. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, like when, when your family got fractured, well, what was the other, the makeup of your household? You're not an only child, right? You have a brother? No, no, no. No, I have a little sister. Little sister. Um, got it. Yeah. She's like a couple years younger than I am. And so my sister and I went and moved to Hawaii with my mom and, you know, then that's where we live. Right. Do you, re- do you remember being bummed that you had to leave like LA? Oh my god! It wasn't so much bummed that I had to leave LA, but once I got there, I realized what kind of like prison I had been put in. Basically, <laughs> it's like a cultural <laughs> prison. At the time, like I remember that people were excited that they were getting a Kmart on the island that I lived at. That was like the big hoopla, and I was, you know, this young city girl that kind of was going through my own myriad of like personal issues and just sitting there going, you guys are excited about Kmart. Like what planet did I get deported to? This is horrible. Right. Right. And so where, what Island were you on specifically? Hmm. We were on Maui. We first, when we first moved there, we lived on, uh, we lived in Lahaina, which is kind of like the touristy side. And then we moved over to, upcountry area closer to the the volcano in a place called Pukulani. And that's where I lived for, I think, maybe four of the five years that I was there because we only spent spent a year on the west side. Got it. Um, The... And so what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Like you said, you recognize the fact that, you know, people were excited about things that you were just confounded and confused you. Um, but what, what, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? You know, did you, uh, were you very introspective? Did you play sports? Where did you sit on that spectrum? Uh, I was a little shit. You know what I mean? Like I, (laughs) I feel like I, you know, I experienced kind of this, strange when I was younger sort of like a gender dysphoria where like I was you know a pretty big tomboy and I didn't want to be confined to the the stigmas and rules that they put out for just little girls and I wanted to like you know go running around ride bikes like I wanted to be a little shit and I was so you know when I was living there like there are huge huge racist elements that I think were like kind of an eye-opener, which, you know what, I don't really, it's kind of a weird thing because the kids that I knew growing up there, like, they were all kids that had parents that had been, you know, moved over there for, like, the different industries, like pineapple and sugarcane and things like that, and this, you know, Hawaii had become a state in the 50s, and so a lot of these kids' parents looked at like white people as a whole is like what ruined their paradise or their self-sustaining industry. So, um, it was kind of a, it was a weird thing. Like I felt really ostracized. I was a white kid. I was, you know, like not really sure what it meant to be like a girl uh, on top of it. Like I've, I listened to like weird music by the way that by the standards of what people thought, you know, traditional music listening was at that point. So kids grew up there listening to like reggae and island music. And I was like super into Metallica and Pantera and Depeche Mode, you know? Right. right. Where did that, where did that come from? 
that's all my dad you know my dad was super into music and got me into and my mom had like some cool friends like my mom was friends with greg from bomb and like i kind of you know i got exposed to cool shit pretty young um i'd say so yeah so music was always like a really big part of like growing that was kind of like my escape in a way sure sure and so you were uh like you said you were just basically going around and people didn't really uh understand where you were coming from uh like did you because of that because of the fact that there were not very many common parallels between you and your other peers on the island uh were you a loner in that sense of the term to a certain extent like i think i spent like the first couple years there feeling kind of alone and ostracized and stuff and then my mom put me into a private middle school slash high school and in the middle school slash high school it was kind of like a a well-to-do private school whatever and a lot of the kids that were there were kids that kind of had been sent there by their parents that didn't really know what to do with them so i had like these kind of cool older peers that took me on as like a younger buddy and like that's where i found goth kids kind of for the first time and like weird punk kids like that dude cisco adler went to school at my school and like i just remember these like older class people in like the high school part of the private school just being such like fuck-ups and i thought it was so cool (laughs) so i kind of found like my niche when i went to that school and kind of found a few different people and then by the time i was in like i had finished seventh grade we were already moving back to la for eighth grade so i don't really retain all those friendships for that long yeah sure that makes sense um and and like you said you know your dad was instrumental in in sort of passing on a lot of the, the music and like you said your mom had all these relationships um just because you already had, uh, you know, a couple years in advance for when, you know, people typically find that stuff in junior high and maybe high school. So, like, were you kind of the uh, the, the torchbearer for some of your friends being like, oh, hey, here's this stuff that I've been listening to for a couple years. Like, once you got back to L.A. and started to go to high school, um, did a lot of people kind of look at you being like, hey, Sarah's into some cool stuff? No, not at all. Well, okay. 1,000% not at all. Uh, I was into, because you have to think, like, when you live in Hawaii and you like stuff that's, like, sort of ostracized in Hawaii, it's already mainstream in Los Angeles. Like, people already have known and have been excited about stuff in Los Angeles because it's such a hub of culture so I went from being like the kind of cool weird like younger person like transplanted back into Los Angeles and being like oh you're one of those that we've already seen around for years you know and so when I was younger like kids you know I can't even remember I feel like when I was in eighth grade it was kind of when like the break of boy bands and pop bands kind of came out and I was like really really into Marilyn Manson um and I think at that point in time people were just you know they already knew I was like a fucking weirdo and it kind of stayed that way sure they're like but all my friends when I was younger and throughout the course of my life most of my friends had been significantly older than I was like I was you know 11 in 
sixth grade and my friends were like 16, 17. When I was 11 and 12, my friends were already like teenagers and I was just kind of catching up to like being like the cool older kids that I admired so much. Right, right. I always find that relationship really interesting too when, um, you know, you hang out with older people and then, you know, your your parents are just like, who the hell are all these kids that Sarah's hanging out with that are like, you know, five years older than her? Oh my god, I feel so incredibly bad now looking back at it as like a person that's like in their 30s. I can't imagine being friends with someone that was like 15, 16 years old. But when I was 15 and 16, I was friends with people that were in their late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, it's, and it's it's weird now to think about it. I'm like, why would I ever hang out with like a 16 year old? That's so weird. Totally. And then you you reflect on that, and then you're like, dude, what was wrong with these people hanging out with me when I was? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think it, you know, I've always tried to, you know, I've always kind of kept up with people older than me, so I don't really think it was that weird in practice as much as it is in speed like when you talk about it it seems fucking weird but at the time it didn't seem weird at all sure um and so because you know once you moved back to la and started to go to high school and everything like that uh did you did you care about school at all did you uh did it come easy to you and did you get just like you know manageable grades or was it one of those things you just kind of didn't care at all I actually have like the funniest high school story I think of most people I know wherein I hacked high school for lack of a better term. I was trying to get so I started getting a job working for um like a promotional company there were these things that existed in LA like in the early 2000s that were there was one company called Streetwise uh, and there was another company called Loudside, and they did these like street team things where they like, you know, got jobs from labels to get kids to pass out promotional material for bands and like go to shows and like hang out outside and pass out stickers and flyers. Jeremy from Touche actually worked for Loudside, and I were. Or he worked for Streetwise and I worked for Loudside. So I used to see him out like on the strip and stuff after shows for ages when I was younger. But I was 16 and I was like, Mom, I want to get my GED. Like, I don't want to go to high school anymore. I don't feel like I belong with any of these people. None of my friends are at school. Like, I, I just don't feel like I need to do this. And all these classes that they're teaching you have no bearing on what I want to do with my life. And I would really like to take a GED. So my mom thought she was like super smart and was like, okay, you have to go through a certain test. And if you pass it, you can get a GED. Well, what my mom didn't tell me is that it was like a psychological evaluation. And the school gets more money if they can pinpoint that somebody has like a learning disability or a personality disorder and put them into like specialized education. So, of course, like the school looks at someone like me who has like, you know, cutter scars on their arms and like is, you know, kind of going out being a rocker, you know, at, at like a kind of an early teenage age. And they're like, oh, this person is manic depressive for sure. So they put me in a specialized education program. And I was going to school across the street from my normal high school in, like, basically a room where they put, like, autistic and kids with, like, really bad learning disabilities. Um, 
And I was like, you know what is going to be really easy about this? I'm going to do remedial classes to get my credits to graduate high school. And then on my, like, um, I forget what you call them. Like, I had art and then... Uh, I got into advanced placement art, so that took up another block of high school. And then my PE teacher, I kept telling him, like, oh, I've got to work on my advanced pl- my college art portfolio. Like, I have to work on it. So I kept getting signed out of PE. So I spent three hours a day in the art room painting because I had art, college art, and then I <coughs> hacked my way out of going to PE. So I had another block to just paint and work on shit. And uh, my teacher at the special ed building didn't realize that I was skipping out of PE. So I didn't have to like do like the mile run until the last day of school. It was so awesome. So I just painted all day. And then like when I went to the special ed building, I was like, cool. One plus one is two. Great. Math A credit accomplished. You know, like my electives took up most of my high school year. So I kind of cheated my way out of like a regular high school thing and kind of went to a weird version of art school, I guess. Right. Yeah. You got to do you got to do all the electives in high school. school, You're not supposed to do electives. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's all I did were electives, basically. Wow. That's that's uh, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. And then I actually graduated high school. Like she found out and she was like, you are not going to graduate this high school if you don't run a mile. And I was like, watch me. So I like ran the mile and then I was like, all right, see you. It was like already too late. Like I already gamed the system. Like you can't can't stop me now. Yeah. You can't hold me back if I already like got all the credits assigned. So I'm good. Right. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I want to tell you about a podcast that you will really, really enjoy. It's called Modern Vibe. It's part of the Jabberjaw network that this beautiful show is a part of. And what they do is some incredible stuff with vinyl. They also cover South by Southwest. They do a lot of stuff on soundtracks. Basically, it is your go-to destination for all things music-related that involve vinyl. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. So, please, if you like music podcasts, so uh, pay attention. Modern Vinyl. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that you get your podcasts. So, check it out and enjoy you mentioned it where you uh you know you were dealing with uh, forms of uh, depression i presume throughout the kind of high school and what you were what you were going through or was that something that you were kind of just experimenting to find yourself within uh the context of um you know who you were i mean i think that everybody that goes through puberty has a stint of being depressed right because your whole body just goes guess what I'm different now (laughs) like changes everything that you've thought was like important everything that drives you like you go from being like toys are pretty cool CDs are pretty cool to like oh my god I love boys they're so cool I can't believe that I look this way when I want to look that way to impress a boy and like you know like your whole your whole shit gets rearranged and so I think that like depression in general is kind of like a weird way of just finding yourself when you're younger um, I wouldn't say that I had, maybe I do have it more than like the average human being, but I think that's also part of being like a sensitive human and kind of going through the things that I went through at a young age. Like, I guess you kind of have the cocktail for somebody who would inherently be sort of depressed, like parents separate, move to an island, move back, no friends, friends are all older. You know, I was drinking when I was 13. 
you know, I just, I, I guess I kind of had it, but you know, I, I, to me, I've always thought and like when I've like the people that I looked up to, I guess, not that I really like look up to anyone, but any cool, like artistic person kind of had this dark side to them. So I kind of felt like it was always okay and natural to an extent. Sure. Yeah. You're, you're like all these people whose music I consume yeah. talk, talk about this. So uh, yeah, I can live in that space too. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't listen to Marilyn Manson because I was like a shiny, happy person, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Right. And so did you, uh, like what, what was your idea of, you know, what you were, uh, going to quote unquote do with yourself after school and stuff like that? I had no clue. Okay. It was like, I didn't, I didn't necessarily play any instruments well enough to like be in a band. So I just sort of like did stuff that was around music. Like I went to tons of shows, tons and tons of shows and like, you know, I was working at this promotional agency and I was like, you know, hanging out with all my friends and bands. And then one of my friends bands in high school, his band got signed to like reprise, which was like a sub label of Warner brothers. And they put him out on this tour. And I was like, well, someone's got to sell your t-shirts. So I went on like my first tour, basically two days after I graduated high school. Right. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and try this out. Yeah, exactly. It was like I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I I knew that I wanted to be around this scene of things. So I kind of made like this weird career out of like, you know, and in my mind, I was like, all these kids my age are like working at Urban Outfitters or like all this stuff. These are retail jobs. Why don't I get a retail job that takes me around the world? And that's essentially what I did. Right, right. And so the because uh, I I presume that because of you know you going to shows and experiencing you know all uh, music from across all spectrums you know you noticed uh, from a female perspective that's like oh hey there's like way more dudes here than than girls um, mm-hmm. did that you know uh, was that something that ever not prevented you from going to shows or anything like that but was that ever something that was like huh I wonder uh, I wonder if this is ever going to change or if this is like actual bothersome bothersome. No, I never really like I never thought about stuff in that aspect because to me, you know, like I it's it's so strange. I when I was growing up, I think like due to kind of having that like confusion about who I was or what I was or what I looked up to, like I would never say that I had like any female role models necessarily. So I just sort of looked at going to shows as like here's all these people and there's people that are cool and there's people that suck. Like, I never really thought of it as like, huh, there's more men here than there are women or there's more women here that are men. Like I, I didn't really, it never really occurred to me. Sure. And like, I was going to like death metal shows and metal shows and stuff like that. So I didn't, you know, I was just more so focused on like what I was going to see. It was like my own thing. It wasn't really, like gender based whatsoever. Sure. Yeah, I just so I find it interesting like when when you start to you know even from a a male's perspective too when you start to realize like hey, like this this is clearly not balanced. Like it's not like yeah. it's not like what I experienced at school where it's like oh, generally speaking kind of 50-50. Yeah. Um and so then as you started to uh you know tour and started to you know like like you said live a uh, retail job on the road did you immediately take to, uh, you know, being on the road? Did you enjoy that experience or was that something you kind of like learned to like over time? 
No, I loved it. I loved, I like, when I was younger, I loved touring. I loved it because it was kind of this like weird chip on my shoulder where like none of my friends were leaving LA. Like none of my friends were doing anything other than just like sitting around in their city kind of being miserable. And I was going around the country. I was making friends with like all these cool people that were so like creative and talented. And like, I, I kind of like went on tour and never really looked back. And for a while it was like my favorite thing in the entire universe. Like in like the stints between tours that I had to like get real jobs or whatever, I just felt like life was so mundane. Like it was kind of like, Oh, cool. I'm going to go to like my job and like do this thing and see the same people every day. It just felt so boring to me. Sure. You got to You got to switch it up every day. Yeah, exactly. And so tour was like this thing that was so exciting for me when I was younger because I got to see all these places I'd never seen. And it, it was just so awesome. It was really great. And especially like when I first toured Europe, which I want to say was maybe 2000. I went over there a couple times when I was under 18. I remember that. But I remember around, like, my first full European tour must have been, like, 2004. And I was just so stoked, 19. Like, I could do whatever. I could drink everywhere. Like, everything was fucking cool. Right. <laughs> and, like, you know, I had I had a lot of fun, like, just taking culture and stuff like that. And then I'd go home, and I'd have, like, money in my pocket, and I didn't have to pay rent anywhere. It was just kind of, like, the person on the couch for a lot of my friends. And it was awesome. Sure, sure. Um, did you, I mean, like you mentioned earlier in regards, so when we were talking about fighting and how you were saying, you know, alcohol could have played an influence, did you ever, uh, were you finding yourself uh, battling a problem, so to speak, or was it you, you know, just the kind of typical, youthful, drunken endeavors? Um, you know, now that I, I stopped drinking like almost five years ago and I've kind of had like this little bit of like, reflection this is like the second time i've kind of gone sober um and i've had this reflection now that i've gotten older on it that my insecurity in being because i you know i started drinking when i was really young i was 13 when i started drinking and i think that it was a lot of it was like a very big coping mechanism and it kind of got to this point where I was drinking at such a young age, it was so formative that I thought I'm not going to be accepted or cool unless I'm drinking. And so I think it was, you know, I definitely know it was like a coping mechanism for like issues that I had within myself that I didn't really know how to resolve. Like being a teenager that's like insecure and like sort of chubby and like not really knowing what type of person you are and like, you know, how do I get people to like me? Oh, if I drink, my personality is in this bottle. And then it kind of got out of hand for a while and then I stopped drinking when I was 20 that was like the first time I stopped drinking I really uh, frankly I've never heard that I how you expressed it in regards to you know I mean you know people always say social lubricant and everything like that um, but you know fi like finding your personality inside of a bottle that's such an interesting uh, turn of phrase just because I mean you know that is what a lot of people do where they're like I feel like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at like my most um, 
you know, heightened self uh, when I <laughs> dive into alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Like you drink and all of a sudden, like all these inhibitions that you have about yourself are sort of like washed away. And so, you know, you don't care about if someone thinks that you're like fat or ugly or stupid. You don't care because you have like washed every insecurity out and you're like, oh, I don't give a shit and I'm going to go do something stupid and people are going to laugh and it's so funny and, you know, whatever. Like you just kind of turn into whatever person that you are. And I would drink and, you know, laugh with people and be like a complete idiot and then uh, wake up with like a raging headache and do it all over again. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And the, um, what was your, uh, like you said, you, you were, your first touring gig was with, uh, you know, a, a band that was signed to, was it Reprise, you said? Yeah, Reprise, yeah. And so what would you, your, your most, I guess, I, I guess consistent and solid touring band? Because um, I know you, you did stuff with Black Dahlia Murder for a long time, right? No, I never worked for Black Dahlia Murder. Oh, I worked okay. for, uh, I worked for Suffocation for a really long time. Okay. Uh... The two bands that I would say I had like my longest career touring with were Suffocation and High on Fire. Oh, okay. I don't know why I connected you to Black Dahlia Murder, but anyway. I know those dudes, and I knew them when I was really young. Uh, like Trevor and Brian, when I first moved to Salt Lake, they were kind of like the first people to stay at like my own apartment in Salt Lake. There's like a really funny, dumb story about that. But yeah, like they stayed at my shitty, like two bedroom apartment. One bedroom was occupied by my roommate, Brian, and the other one was myself. And I kind of was like, you know, whoever wants to sleep wherever in the house, there's like a couch and a floor space. You guys can all stay here. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't work for them. No, I've never worked for them actually. Got it. Yeah. But so the, but the, but suffocation and high and fire were the ones who really, uh, you, like, no matter what, you were always expecting to work for them for that particular calendar year. Yeah. Um, and as you like, were you good at your job? Like, or is that something that again you kind of learned to be better at over time? Um, I was good enough to get rehired consistently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of one of those things for sure. With merch, you kind of learn how to do it so professionally and to where you become good at your job. Like, you know, when I was first selling shirts for my friends, no one told me that you needed like an Excel spreadsheet to like write formulas and create ways to track inventory. It was kind of like I wrote a bunch of tallies down on a mark, you know, on a, on a paper and this is how many shirts we sold and this is how much money is there, you know? And, and gradually it got to a point where, now I can actually do merch professionally speaking, but it definitely took some learning and like trial and error and, you know, mistakes to get to a point where I was good enough at it. Uh, sort of randomly, anecdotally speaking, what, what was uh, something that sticks out in your head where, you know, you made an error and then someone taught you how to do it correctly. And then you were like, Oh, I see how to do it now. <laughs> I think that one of the bigger ones for me was I had created a spreadsheet and didn't realize that there were formulas. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, it was like my my big kid way of like showing someone like, oh, yeah, I've got this Microsoft Excel spreadsheet does all the work for you. But it was just me like uh, 
essentially like knowing how many shirts that I brought in and knowing like typing in how many were in and how many were out and then me putting the money there on the side like it was just a blank thing that had like this is the type of shirt this is how many we sold of it uh, but I had to calculate everything by hand right instead of like Excel calculating it for you which is the purpose of having a fucking spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> totally but it, it, it's true because like you, you you know when you first start to use something like that you're just like oh this is an easy way to lay out information and then once exactly you, once you find out a formula you're like oh my god this is so powerful it blew my fucking mind it blew my mind i was like oh my goodness i can actually do stuff right i can i don't have to add up all of these things yeah it, it was definitely a game changer <laughs> um and so as you were spending time with, you know, all these bands and touring around the world, um, did you have the notion that you wanted to actually like play in a band? I mean, I know you said originally that you didn't have any sort of musical talent, but um, did you? No, I don't know. I didn't even realize that I wanted to be in a band until I like said that I had a band as a fucking joke. Like, I, you know, I'm like not going to you know, what could I do? Like, I didn't know how to play guitar very well, so I would just play bass, which seems super boring to me. You know, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to play anything, and I definitely don't really feel comfortable about being, I still don't necessarily feel the most comfortable about being a front person when you conceptualize it as you are the front person of that band. I didn't think that I was going to be lucrative for singing, um, and screaming just didn't, really piqued my interest so no i didn't really i didn't want to do a band right yeah until you started as a joke and then it became serious yeah exactly <laughs> so basically youth code and throwdown are essentially the same band <laughs> yeah <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> did they start as a joke i didn't know that yeah they essentially did i mean yeah they just they started off as a you know they had uh they printed up shirts for their friends like throwdown dance crew and like i remember the dance crew shirts yeah so that basically that was like they just wanted a band to kind of like dance to and then uh, other people that weren't their friends started to like it and then there you go <laughs> that's funny i had no idea that they started as a joke yeah there you go um and so you know i mean once the the history of youth code has definitely already been you know kind of splayed apart in regards to you know people always ask you or it's like oh my gosh it's so crazy that you guys are in a relationship and you create music together it's so crazy how do you do it um so i'm not gonna ask those questions but People actually, you know, what's really funny is that sometimes people don't know that we're dating and it is like the biggest laugh of my entire life with how public everything is with like social media and just like right. you would think that other people had looked at certain interviews that touch on it. Like, I don't think a lot of people want to necessarily touch on it because either A, they think that it's already been touched upon a bunch of times or B, they feel like, oh, that's your personal life, and I don't want to take away from the integrity of you as an artist, so we're not going to talk about the relationship of it. But we were in we were in Sweden a couple years ago, hanging out with our friend Daniel, who plays in this band Covenant. We're just, like, joking around, and I, like, give Ryan a kiss on the cheek, and he was like, oh, you guys are very, you're very close for a band. I was like, well, we're dating. And he, like, kind of paused, and he was like, am I the only person that didn't know that you guys were a couple <laughs> i was like uh maybe i don't i guess but it's like surprisingly happened quite a few times that's interesting i never yeah, yeah i mean I, just because i know both of you like it would be it'd be weird to think otherwise but like you said it really doesn't take for you know less than five minutes worth of research to find out that you yeah. that you're 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 in a relationship that's funny yeah um but the uh you know 
youth code is definitely the you know the merger of two worlds in regards to you know the sort of live aggression of what you know punk and hardcore is um and then the obvious aggression of you know industrial music i i I find it interesting because i think that you know so many people eventually do arrive to getting into you know the really really dark subcultures of uh aggressive music whether it's like oh once they find out about death in june and then they start to look into like throbbing gristle and everything else Mm -hmm. um you know, do you find that uh, youth code is kind of uh, an interesting gateway to people finding out? Abso- that stuff? Absolutely, okay. which is so cool to me. It's like one of my favorite parts about doing the band, uh, and I can recall it like so well because for me, you know, I'd obviously like being older and and you know growing up listening to a lot of aggressive music and stuff like that. Like it was. It was a no-brainer for me to do this sort of thing, but I remember when we toured with AFI, and it was like our second full U.S. tour. Like the first LP had just come out. Like we were really pumped, and uh, there would be these like fourteen-year-old girls that would come up to like the merch table and stuff and be like, "I have no idea what you guys are doing. I think it's like Crystal Castles, but like." screamo but i'm not sure what is this and i'd be like we play industrial music and they were like like tell me more so i would be able to like pinpoint people over to industrial bands that i really like like there's nothing more rewarding to me than like telling a 14 year old girl like hey you should check out this band babyland they were completely incredible and play with synthesizers or hey you should check out skinny puppy or something like that i think that a lot of people kind of associate uh, like younger people think about goth and they think like who are the biggest names of goth right like Marilyn Manson who's essentially just like a rock artist and like uh, Nine Inch Nails I guess but they're kind of like rock as well at this point in time Mm -hmm. so I think that they don't really have any clues to get to stuff like frontline assembly or all that sort of darker stuff so it was kind of cool for us to kind of be like these like gift bearers to the universe like here's this type of music you should enjoy it it's been around for way longer than we have okay bye right right no it's interesting because it's like there are you're you're serving the same purpose in both scenes it's like yeah you could go on tour with um you know skinny puppy and people that are not used to the sort of you know frenetic nature of like what a live hardcore show is will look at you guys and be like what the fuck is that i need to get more of like that activity it sort of it reminds me in a weird way about like like around 2002 2003 hate breeds started doing a lot more metal stuff like they would go on metal tours and shit and be paired up with metal bands and to me it was kind of like the same purpose that like you know because there's been like a long-standing like between like hardcore kids and like metal kids uh but i remember when hate breed kind of did like Ozfest and stuff like that there were like a lot of metal people that were like this shit is pretty fucking cool i'm gonna check this out and then got into things you know around listening to hardcore um that maybe they previously hadn't it's the sort of the same way with us going into like 
you know, maybe more aggressive genres of music or whatever, and being equally aggressive or even more industrial genres and being industrial, but also having an aggressive element and like pinpointing the things that we like because we are kind of like the square peg in a round hole as far as music goes. Like we're we're too angry for regular goths and we're too goth for regular angry people. <laughs> right, right. So because of that, I mean, you can play like you just recently have where you, know, you get off you get off tour with a band like Code Orange and people uh, that you know typically wouldn't listen to this style of music uh, have no choice but to confront <laughs> you know to confront it and wrestle with it whether or not they like it or not. Um, do you find your reactions to one or the other kind of um, you know doing better so to speak as far as crowd reaction is concerned? Uh, I'm not really like 100 percent sure about it because there's like kind of a like our band is our band's weird like I know our band is weird but you know there's bands like Code Orange that like throughout like uh, their guitarist Eric made like a tape of music that was purely uh, industrial music that played the whole night between bands uh, and I would see these kids that didn't know that Eric made the tape be like, I'm just ready to fucking see beatdown music. I don't understand all this synthesizer shit. And so, like, then, you know, we'd play and they'd be like, oh, I don't understand it. And then Code Orange would play and they'd also have noise interludes and stuff like that. And people would be like, yeah, that's what's up. That's fucking cool. So, like, I kind of I don't know what sort of impact that we've necessarily made. I think that if people are open-minded to it, and like music as a whole they'll be more interested in what we're doing as opposed to like a certain genre liking it more or less than the other it's obviously super easy to play with industrial bands because they at least know what synthesizer the fan base of that music knows what synthesizers are so they don't go like oh the girl and the dj like but you know i find it more fun to play shows where it's challenging because i want to convert people into what we're doing instead of you know have people that typically would already like what we're doing you know sing our praises right right yeah it's like the lowest hanging fruit is is satisfying because you know you'll get a reaction out of them but at the mm-hmm. same but at the same time you're going to have people you know you might not hit more of the audience if you're challenging people but the people mm-hmm. who do get it will get it that much more. exactly yeah um, and so, you know, as you started to like tour yourself with your own band, and because you know you're at a stage where you've toured for most of your life, uh, is the experience different for you? Yeah, it's a hundred percent different. But it's also like really funny because, like, I find that people are intimidated to, to go out on tour with us because I have such a tight ship run. Because <laughs> like, I've done all aspects of it. Like, you know, when we started to hire a merch person and I had to show them how to use a spreadsheet, we were just like kind of hiring our friends, and they were like. I'm terrified to work underneath you because you have like an iron glove of like you know what you're doing and I don't necessarily know it as well as you do like we've never hired a professional merch person we just kind of hired our friends and thrown them into this thing but then they they know that I've toured so it's you know they kind of feel maybe intimidated to like fuck up or something like that but it's a completely different it is and it isn't it's a different experience because you know I'm not sitting behind a merch table all night and kind of like appeasing crowd you know normal people and doing a job I'm like there for a certain purpose you know yeah right you're like hey this is uh i'm i'm here i'm not just like a appendage even though that you know you're an important part of a touring machine yeah exactly but i'm not you know like if someone 
like I think that you know if if you say don't sell a t-shirt to someone or you get uppity about things with someone like they just look at you as like you're an employee you're nothing you just sell t-shirts whereas like if you tell someone like hey I don't like this certain thing or you know hey I like you have a more significant impact as an artist than you would just like a crew person yeah absolutely um, two last things I want to hit on before I let you go was the um, you know the idea that you know since Youth Code started off as not Youth Crew Youth Code sorry I don't know <laughs> that, that was awesome it's okay I know where your brain is X right. purpose X <laughs> of course um, when that started like you said it was a, it was a joke you weren't really anticipating you know anything from it and then now that uh, you know here you are many tours later many releases later uh, when did you feel like this was something that people were gravitating towards or when it felt, I guess, real to you where it's like, oh my gosh, like, I guess we better take this seriously? After the first show, it was fucking nuts. Okay. We got off stage after the first show thinking like, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back. Yeah, we did it. We played a show that was like, you know, the product of us kind of like hustling up for, you know, songs the minute we got off stage first of all like we were just saying like hey we have a show everyone come out and like pear space filled up like instantly everyone was there to kind of see us really like all of our buddies came out and they were like yeah we want to support you this is cool and then we got off stage and we got asked to play our second show right after we walked outside of pear space and i was like what do you mean second show like ha 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 this was kind of a joke but then we were like all right yeah cool we'll do a second show people like it awesome and then we like i think i went online maybe a couple days later and and was looking at like some goth message board forum or something and the video of our first show had already started to circulate in the goth and industrial community i went to das bunker and john from das bunker who i had seen for years going to that club he kind of was like where did you guys come from and who are you and i was like i've been going to your club for a really long time and i know that you don't take attendance of every single person that's been going to your club but you know, I've been here in the background wearing a metal T-shirt to a goth show. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're like I've I've existed in this universe, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't know me until now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was it's like it was pretty quick how all of like the hype, so to speak, sort of started circulating around us. Sure. Um, and and because of that, like once you started to see people pay attention to it, you know, outside of the realm of what you, what people you would expect to pay attention to something like this, you know, I mean, once you started to get you know more coverage in you know indie blogs and all that sort of stuff, um, did was it was it hard for you to wrap around your head around the idea that like oh I guess like this band can be the, the central point of like you know hey how we make money and how we make a living um, was that a weird adjustment for you? Oh, Sarah, hey, Sarah, sorry, you sound really, really distant and quiet. Sorry. Uh, it's still, like, really hard for me to digest. Right. Um, it's still, like, something I can't really believe, and I think, you know, it's it's cool, and we're we're doing it, but every time that, like, you know, there's not a day that goes by where, like, someone that, like, maybe I admired when I was younger is, like, Hey, I really like what you're doing, and I'm like, get out of here, shut up! You're like, you're lying, you know. Like, it still is like a a very strange thing to digest. That like, I don't know. Like, I think staying humble and 
and being like moderate about your successes is kind of the best move in general about things. And so when I see that people like it and when I know that it's something that like, you know, is like my, this is my job essentially. It's kind of weird to think about, you know, that I don't necessarily have to like freak out about like, what am I going to do to pay rent and stuff? Like we always kind of, this is like a backbone of it and it's, it's blown my mind since the day we started. Right. 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 And it it won't, it will not stop blowing my mind. I guarantee that. Sure. Well, I mean, that's cool because like you said, when, I mean, when it comes from a place of, um, you know, where you guys came from, you, you, you take the art creation seriously, but you don't need to take the fact that it's like, Oh, I am Sarah from youth code. And that is my only identity. It's yeah, someone someone texted me about it the other day. I was talking to someone who's like kind of doing well with music, and it's like the first time that they really feel like they are the focal point. And they were like, "How do you deal with the reality of being like Youth Code Sarah?" And I was like, "I don't really separate Youth Code Sarah from like regular Sarah. Like, I think the only thing that I need to do that's different is maybe like mine my." not like my my p's and q's but like more so like pay attention to things around me but i don't think that it's like any different i'm still like the same like you know funny quirky little like 13 year old that's like at family values tour 1998 like trying to win tickets to a show on the radio and stuff like i'm still that same person it's just like now i guess like from doing art people i guess like know about you more and so that's like kind of like more of an exciting thing. But yeah, I don't I don't separate myself. I'm the same person with youth code that I am in every day being at home. And and uh, one last thing, just because you, you mentioned it, like because, um, you know, once people start to pay attention, especially when it like you're talking about when you're the front person of a band, um, you know, people immediately pay attention to you and they want to know more and more about you. Um, how have you dealt with the sort of, you know, the <laughs> the public intrusiveness, uh, as it were, or has it been so, um, you know, on a smaller scale that you're not uh, so concerned about it right now? Uh, you know, like it. It is pretty vast. I mean, like, I just for like something as stupid as like looking at like, say, Instagram for, you know, like for whatever as like a reference, there are almost 7000 people that are interested in me posting a photo of like my dog or my boyfriend or me like screaming into a microphone. And that is so fucking strange to me because I'm just the same person as everyone else. You know, like I like to you know eat mac and cheese and you know listen to records and be a ding dong so it's kind of weird but you know it it definitely you know when people cross a line i'm pretty quick to be like hey you crossed the line stop but you know for the most part it's pretty normal right right well that's cool it's good it's good that it hasn't been um because i I know especially too from a you know female perspective like you can get people that can immediately go the creepy route and you're just like whoa hold on like hold on like oh i mean i've seen people go the creepy route and like my only response to that sort of thing is just ew (laughs) you know (laughs) there's nothing like more like humiliating than being told you after being a weirdo you know <laughs> like that wow that that's a very that's very good because yeah like that immediately puts it back on the other person where they just have to immediately reflect on what they're doing with their lives yeah exactly like you want to say something like you want to like weirdly sexualize like i remember i put up a picture 
on Instagram. And it was like a picture of me like crouched down like on the floor of a show. And for whatever reason, in between like breaths of a song, I was like looking out in the distance. It's a cool photo on this photographer caught it. I posted it online and someone was like, wouldn't this be cooler if it had the Brazzers tag at the bottom? And I was like, ew, you weirdo. Like, what is wrong with you? And then as soon as I called this person a weirdo, then it was like this amassed army of other people that are like, don't sexualize her. You know, like she's just singing. You fucking weirdo. Would you put this on a tag of a guy singing? Like, what's wrong with you? You know? And I was just like, all right, Mike, I don't need to do anything else. Get out of here. Right. Totally. You're like, well, well, looks like, looks like this worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Sarah, honestly, thank you so much for hanging out. This has been uh, enjoyable for me and I hope it wasn't, uh, wasn't too painful for you. No, I, I'm like, you know, three cups of coffee deep. I could probably talk for another fucking two hours at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. That's, that's usually what these things feel like where it's like, Oh, that was an hour. It's like, Oh, oh okay. Oh. I know I'm looking at it right now and it's like, just like barely over an hour. And I was like, this is crazy. I, I could talk for another two. Yeah, no, for sure. So that was Sarah. And that was our conversation. Great. Right. Such, such fun stuff. Youth code is a great band. I've only seen live once, but uh, man, it's an intense experience. They definitely leave no stone unturned when it comes to the loud, aggressive nature of industrial music, and I love that fact. So thank you very much, Sarah, for hanging out on your porch and uh, talking with me one day. And uh, let's see, should I tell you the guest next week? Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of what I've been doing. The guest next week is a very good friend of mine, and I actually wor- technically work for her, for her management company. Uh, her name is Evange Livianos. I totally have never pronounced her last name out loud. So Evange runs a company called uh, Synergy Management, who manages Real Friends and Knuckle Puck and a bunch of other bands. She has been a key player in a lot of those bands success rise to stardom rise to fame whatever you want to call it and she's got an amazing story because she's been involved in music for a long period of time done a lot of different things from a booking agent to you know show promotion to you know frankly just being a passionate individual who loves independent music and that's exactly where she lands so that's who's on the show next week and um yeah i'm gonna go enjoy the rest of my vacation so please be safe everybody until next week You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.